the kingdom and the power. That's what I'm going to be speaking about this morning. I'd just like to start off by reminding you of the vision that we have as a church, which goes like this. Oxford Community Church following Jesus in a big way. It's about being wholehearted in our discipleship and following him, but the big stands for something too. It stands for building family, igniting passion, have the next slide, and going with good news. It's occasionally been pointed out to me that we've got this in the wrong order, that igniting passion comes before building family in the natural. It's good not... That's a bit lost, isn't it? You're supposed to fall in love before you... Anyway. Um, But this is our vision statement as we have it. Uh, Building family across the city, it's what the B stands for, igniting passion for God and his kingdom, and going with good news to students, local communities, and beyond. We know that we're called to play a particular role in uh, reaching out to students in the universities, who actually are pretty much the most unreached, pretty much the most unreached Uh, least reached, I should say, group of people in the city. Church going amongst students in the city is second only to the Muslim community uh, in the low percentage of people going. So there's a pressing need for us to uh, work together as a church to reach out to students, but also to communities all over. And we've been hearing about North Africa, which is part of our Beyond this morning. Over the last few years, we've talked quite a lot and worked quite hard on building family and going with good news, that is community and mission, and we are, as a church, uh, meeting and working in missional communities. This morning, I felt that it is time to talk about igniting passion for God and his kingdom. You can click the button. There we go. So, as we start to look at the kingdom, we will look this morning at the power that God has given to us for his kingdom to come into our city and into our lives. It's probably worth pausing and offering a definition of the kingdom of God. Uh, It's not immediately obvious what it means. So here's a definition which works reasonably well. That the kingdom of God is where Christ is known and his will is done. The kingdom of God is where Christ is known and his will is done. What does that look like? What does the kingdom of God look like? Well, it means that guilt is changed to forgiveness, that instead of being alienated from God, we are reconciled to him. The Bible talks about mourning turning to dancing, sorrow to joy, sickness to wholeness, barrenness to abundant life, distress is turned to peace, addiction to freedom, oppression to justice, death to life. It's also a place where the unrepentant are punished and where you reap from what you sow. The kingdom of God brings about a widespread, thoroughgoing transformation to cause life in this fallen world to be changed to become that which God wills. Uh, In the kingdom of God, things are as they should be on every front and as deep as you can go. Just recently heard a story of a teenage girl uh, aged about 15, uh, part of a group called Crossfire, 
on Blackbird Lees, which is a missional community reaching out to teenagers on Blackbird Lees. And uh, they have a time regularly where people can stand up and say something of their story and what God has done in their lives. And this uh, young girl stood up. She'd actually brought with her a mannequin, and on it had placed a really skimpy dress. And she was there, made up, uh, done up to the nines, as my mum would say, anyway, and uh, wearing a coat. And on the coat, she'd put all, pinned all kinds of things, saying what had been wrong with her life, words like rejection and insecurity. And then as she began to tell her story, she got out a cloth and wiped the makeup off her face. And uh, she took off her coat, which had all of those negative words on, and uh, on the clothes that she was wearing underneath were pinned all the things that God had done for her. And she said, you know what? I used to need that kind of dress and this kind of makeup in order to feel anybody, but God's broken into my life. And I don't feel that way anymore. I don't need that stuff anymore. God has changed my life. And now I know peace and love. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's the kingdom of God coming into someone's life. How does that happen, though? Uh, so the next slide. How does that happen? Well, in Zechariah 4, there's a favourite verse of Lulu's. Lulu, you're like this. I'm quoting from Zechariah 4 this morning. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's talking here about human energy, human strength, the strength of armies, or human power, that is, Uh, political authority is determining what will and won't happen. It's not about any of that, but the kingdom of God comes by the Spirit at work. It's all about what the Holy Spirit does. You know, we easily drift into thinking that somehow we can make the kingdom of God come. Has anyone ever tempted to think that way? That if only we worked a bit harder... Or maybe we sometimes have it the other way around and we say to ourselves things like, you know, it's because I don't have enough faith that it's not working. Or, you know, it's because I'm mucked up in this way, it's because of this besetting sin I have that the kingdom isn't coming, that I'm not experiencing uh, all that I should in and through me. And yet the word of God says it's all about the Holy Spirit at work. It's all about what he does, not by human power, but by the Spirit of God. And what we're going to look at this morning is just some of the things that the Holy Spirit does amongst us and how we join in, how we are a part of that. So here's the first thing, which is that by the Spirit we are saved. It's good, isn't it? We are saved. Uh, Saved from judgment and shown God's mercy. John 16 and verse 8 talks about the Spirit's work. Jesus says, when the Spirit comes, well, he uses the word paraclete, but when the Spirit comes, that's the one he's speaking about, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. So the process of beginning a life with Christ, which involves repentance, that is turning away from our sin, And then following on from that, belief and trust in what God has done from us. The Spirit is at work to enable us to understand that what we've done is actually sin. Right there at the beginning, it's the Holy Spirit at work. Jesus says he is the one who will convict the world 
of guilt in regard to sin. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about faith coming by the Spirit. And John 3, verses 5 and 6, teaches that the transformation, the transformation that occurs when we are saved, the transformation of us that occurs when we are saved is also a work of the Spirit. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, actually the most important thing that the Holy Spirit does, is work for our salvation. In all of our longing for revival, I I don't know um, how this will work for different ones of you. For some of you, actually, your thoughts about salvation are on quite a grand scale. You're praying for revival, say, in North Africa, or for an awakening in North Africa, or for the city, or something. Actually, for some people, when we talk about this, you know, your thoughts are about some particular friends and family, and that's, you know, that's the horizon, and that, because you care for those people. And we long, whether it's for individuals, or for cities, or for nations, we long for people to be saved. We long for people to be saved, for many, many people to be born again. That's what our missional communities are about and our church plants. Um, We need to remember, in that longing, in the midst of it, that salvation is something that God does by his Holy Spirit. It's important that we think about what we're doing and how we are partnering with God, but it's very easy for that to drift into thinking that our energy our might and power might lead somebody to be born again. And it's not true. It's the Holy Spirit that causes people to be born again. Uh, There's a little um, thing that highlights for us where we're at in that, whether we're seeing it mostly as something that we're trying to work for or whether we're seeing it as something that the Holy Spirit is doing. And that little thing is how much we pray about it. If we think that we can sort it all out, then chances are we won't pray very much. If, well, perhaps there's a third thing, which is that sometimes we might despair of anybody ever being born again, and like neither we nor the Holy Spirit can do it. But if we believe what the Word of God says, that the Holy Spirit is at work to see people born again, then we will pray, and we'll ask him to do his work. And I don't want to... I was praying before the meeting here that God would help me not just to be sort of exhorting us all this morning, but encouraging. I know I have a tendency to be really sort of directing me. Come on! And I don't feel that's quite what God is after with us this morning, because I want, believe God wants to come and encourage us this morning that where we have a longing for people to be born again, you know, that's of God where we're engaged in trying to do things, whether it's at work or with our families or missional communities and church plants. Oh, God, would you work through us that people would come to know you? You That's all of God, and it's brilliant. It's really, really wonderful. Uh, But I think that God wants to encourage us that it's going to work far, far better the more we pray. Now, as a church, we don't have lots of regular central prayer meetings 
that you can come to sort of day in, day out, or week in, week out. We do pray together before every Sunday meeting, starting just after 10 in the uh, Cotswold Hall through the way. That's one regular weekly prayer meeting that we have. What I really want to encourage, apart from attendance at those things, is just that we pray in the everyday of our lives, that, we, that when we meet in our missional communities, that we pray when we meet, that, that we feel that something's a bit odd if we haven't prayed when we get together. I want to encourage, if I can, and ignite, if I can, some more prayer amongst us this morning. Do you think we can do that? I think we can do that. I don't think that's so far away from us that it's an impossible thing. But God would encourage us that as we pray, you know what? More people are going to get saved. Yeah? Yeah? (laughs) Thank you. I, I don't know if it's just the end of the summer and we're kind of... I don't know, it's a little bit kind of like, I don't know what's going on this morning. Should we just pause and pray, actually? That's what we'll do, talking about prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you're with us. And we just pray that this time that we have together in your presence would not be wasted. Um, Lord, we want to meet with you and to be changed by you. And we pray that you'd help us as we look together at what's in your word just to hear your voice. Thank you that your word is living and active. And I pray for each one of us that this morning your word would land in us and change us. Lord, not my words or my ideas, but Lord, your words uh, miraculously coming through would change each one of us. Lord, we don't want to just come and do a Sunday thing and get on with the day, but we, we do want to encounter you. We really do. And uh, we thank you that there's just so much more that you have stored up to give to us. And Lord, we say, would this morning be a time of giving when we receive far more from you than we've known before? Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes. As Keith was speaking and prophesying earlier about opening our eyes for what could be. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes, that we wouldn't just live with what we know but you'd help us to, to see something more of what could be that would ignite a passion in us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, by the Spirit, we are saved. Also by the Spirit, we are sanctified. It says that in Romans 15 and verse 16. It says, we are sanctified by the Spirit. And what that means is that the Spirit is at work in us to change us so that we live life as we ought to. We're not just sinners saved by grace, warehoused in a secure area until we get to heaven. But God intends for us to live on earth as his children, that is living as we ought to. And the Holy Spirit does that in us as well. In Romans 8, Paul wrote that those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. That's the same thing that God has for us. We're not supposed just to live life in order that God could tick off some boxes in heaven. 
God has a way for us to live which for us is life and peace. And he wants us to enjoy that together. The Holy Spirit has got lots of different ways of sanctifying us. And as we go into the autumn and coming Sundays, we're going to be looking at some of those different ways that God uses to change us. But I want you to know that even in the last few weeks, there have been various people in the church that I'm aware of who have been prayed for in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come and set them free from some long-standing things, and they've experienced freedom in a whole new way. God is at work amongst us to transform us that our ways of thinking and our patterns of life would be pleasing to him as they should be, bringing us peace and life. I've heard testimonies of peace coming to people that had not experienced peace. God is doing it by his spirit. Actually, next week we're going to hear a testimony of some profound change occurring over the course of the last year through Celebrate Recovery. I'm looking forward to that. This morning, I just want to encourage and hopefully ignite hope. For those of us who've just don't know what else to do but to accept that there are certain challenges that don't go away, you know, there you are. Believe God wants to come this morning and to speak hope. Say, no, it's, it's part of this thing of what could be. It's not what you know that determines what could be, but there is more that God has to give. I trust that that word will land with many this morning. Thirdly, then, what the Spirit does is he makes us speakers. Did you notice that? Three S's. I was quite pleased with that this morning. <laughs> Saved, sanctified, Sibilant speakers. There we go. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was associated especially with prophecy. In fact, he was called the Spirit of Prophecy, not the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And Jesus spoke specifically about the Spirit and what he would do with our speaking. In Luke 12... He said to his disciples, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, that is, you know, when you're in trouble, don't worry about how you'll defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Later on, just before he ascended into heaven, he made them a promise. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, The Apostle Paul experienced this power and this blessing, and he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, from verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us, And then he says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. You know, God gives us words to say. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of prophecy, and he comes upon us to empower us to speak for him. You've almost certainly heard of the phrase, the priesthood of all believers, which was something that came to the fore 
in the Reformation four or five hundred years ago, not just a few people being priests, but all of God's people being priests, it would be equally true to say that in the church we are a prophethood of all believers. The Holy Spirit is given to all of us that we might all speak God's word, not just a favoured few. Now, it might seem that some people are perhaps natural speakers. It might look to you like I'm a natural speaker. It, it might well do. So, I mean, I want you to know that, because I think this might help, you know, every time I stand up to speak like this, you know, I feel a nervousness. Um, I haven't got to a point, and I don't think I will or I want to get to a point where I get beyond that. I don't stand up and think, right, here we go, I know what I'm doing, this is all fine, off we go. Every single time I stand up to speak in a setting like this, it's true also if I go to a mission or community or visit one of our churches or something to try to bring the word of God, I just have this keen awareness that I need to be carried along by the Holy Spirit or it's going to be rubbish. And practically, that is usually experienced as butterflies in my stomach. I've got beyond the point where I need to pop out to the bathroom before I stand up to speak. That's quite good, because that was quite inconvenient. Um, so, but I've got, used, I've got used to that feeling, but it hasn't gone away. And I think many of you know what I'm talking about. And that sense that I think God might want me to say something, but, oh, I'm not quite sure, is it the right thing? I just want to say, you know, if you're waiting for that feeling to go away, you know, you'll be waiting, you're waiting for heaven, really. It doesn't work like that. In Romans 12, where Paul encourages the use of different kinds of gifts, and he speaks of prophecy, he says, let him who prophesies, or the one who has the gift of prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. How much we will speak for God is greatly affected by our willingness to just step out and in our uncertainty and with all the feelings of nervousness that can go along with that, still speak. So if you've written yourself off as not one of those people, who, you say, I'm not, one of those, I'm not a speaker, I'm not one of those people who speaks for God because, you know, I don't feel very confident about it. I'd like to just somehow tear away that excuse or that reasoning and say, well, join the club. You know, that's how it is. God pours out his spirit on all of us that we might all speak for him. Not all from a stage, and uh, sometimes speaking for him might be over a mobile phone in this modern world. It's not all, you know that everybody sees in a big group or something, but God has given his spirit that we might all be his witnesses. So there are some things that the Holy Spirit does. I thought it would be helpful for us to turn to the New Testament and just read a few stories of what it's like when the Holy Spirit comes so that we could ground it a little bit more and get our heads around what we should expect. So a few stories from the early church. Let's look at Acts chapter 8. This is the story of the gospel being received in Samaria. Of course, the Jews hated the Samaritans. So the backdrop to this story is ethnic division 
and God moving to bring about a profound reconciliation. But from verse 5, it says this. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all, played, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man called Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. And they followed him because he'd amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip... As he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised and followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and wonders he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They'd simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Just like you to notice uh, a couple of the many things that there are in these few verses. Uh, And it's just that they had believed and been baptised, but for a season, they still had not received the Spirit. Now, I said earlier that the Holy Spirit is at work in bringing people to salvation, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, knew that. He had been around Paul on Paul's journeys, and Paul taught very clearly that the Spirit was at work in believing and repenting and in salvation. But Luke still saw that there was something else, which he here calls receiving the Holy Spirit. Actually, in other parts of the New Testament, it's called different things, but there's the same experience in mind, sometimes called receiving the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the gift of the Holy Spirit, but often called baptism in the Holy Spirit. And Although these believers in Samaria had even got to the point of being baptised in water in Jesus' name, and you'd look at them and you go, they are converted. They've gone from one kingdom to another. There was something else that still had to happen, which we tend to call baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to draw our attention to that this morning and say, there may well be some of us for whom we're definitely God's kids, definitely saved. But even as I was speaking about the power of God to cleanse us and sanctify us, you think, well, I don't know if I've ever quite received that. And as I was speaking about the Spirit coming to give us the power to speak, you might have thought, well, I'm not sure I've ever had that either. Well, it may be that you haven't. It may be that there is actually a baptism in the Holy Spirit that you need to receive. Now, the good news is well, for you, is it's really quite straightforward. All that had to happen was for a bit of prayer to go on, and they asked, 
and they received the Holy Spirit, as they should have done. For some people, this gift of the Holy Spirit comes at the moment that you're born again. And it's just all come in one go. And that's fine. It doesn't have to be left until later. But it does need to happen at some point that the Spirit comes upon us to empower us. It's a promise of God. I'd also like us just to look at the story of Peter. We know quite a lot more about Peter than we do about the Samaritans. Starting some way on in his story, but where it starts, his, his experiences of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, which is after Jesus is resurrected, but before Jesus has gone back to heaven, he meets with his disciples in a locked room and Then it says in verse 22 that he breathed on them, Peter included in the crowd, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. There was a a giving of the Spirit to them then, which was giving them an authority concerning people's spiritual state. We turn a few pages forward to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost to the believers gathered together. At the beginning of chapter 2, it's written that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then just a few verses later, in verse 14, the fruit of that for Peter was that Peter stood up, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd that recently they had been hiding from. So he had Jesus breathe the Spirit onto him, which speaks of new life and a commissioning from God, but then another experience of the Holy Spirit, which led him out of the locked room, out into the public space, there to bring the word of God. But for Peter, there was more than that. And if you read through the rest of the book of Acts, you read quite a lot more of what God did with Peter. In chapter 3, he prays in Jesus' name for a crippled beggar who jumped to his feet and began to walk. In Acts chapter 4, he had words given to him to speak not only to the crowds, but to the rulers, as Jesus had promised in Luke 12. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke to the rulers and elders of the people. And then it kept going. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision of all of these different foods coming down from heaven, which were forbidden for Jews to eat. And it says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 19, let's just turn there, that the Holy Spirit spoke. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, I'm going to blow your fuses. It doesn't say that. It says, Simon, three men are looking for you, but it was the beginning of a little adventure that was going to completely blow his fuses because, you know, he grew up in a culture where, you know, his ancestors, they'd been tortured and put in prison and killed for eating, uh, for, for sticking to the food laws. 
by the, the Greeks that conquered them at one point. And there was this cultural heritage which said, you know, in honour of those martyrs, we stick to the food laws. It was like a powerful thing. And then this vision comes down and God says, it's time to get out of that box in order that the gospel might go to all people. So God kept on in a whole number of different ways working by his spirit in Peter's life. Peter had to be born again and cleansed. There was a key moment of him receiving the Holy Spirit for power to preach and then more receiving of the Spirit to give him the words that he needed to stand up in front of the rulers and authorities. And he kept receiving more and he kept being pushed out before, beyond what he'd known before. So just as there may be some of us who are a little bit unsure, have I, you know, have I been baptised in the Holy Spirit? That question may be there. Actually, for those who know that they have been baptised in the Holy Spirit, uh, the question is a little bit different. It's like, well, praise God for that, but is it ongoing? Have you settled into, you know, well, I speak in tongues, give a prophetic word occasionally, you know, uh, you know, I'm you know, a spiritual person. Well, it's great that that's in place. It's brilliant. I mean, it's a transformation from what was before, if that has happened for you. But, you know, there's more to do. God wants to keep on blowing our fuses and speaking to us about what could be, but isn't yet in our experience. So those are some things from the scriptures. I just wanted to, I guess, finish by sharing a few things to do with human experience, just to continue to try to land and say, what does this mean for us? Uh, One thing to say is that uh, if you're asking that question, have I been baptised in the Spirit or not? I want to say, if you cannot answer that question uh, clearly and strongly, then you probably aren't. I hope that's not unsettling too many people. Actually, I hope it's unsettling the right people. Actually, I'm not going to be apologetic. Because, you know, in Acts 19, Paul goes to the city of Ephesus and he meets some people who claim to be believers in Jesus. And he says to them, so did you receive the Spirit? The point is, he expected them to know. He didn't say, you know, had you had sort of, when you got born again, you know, is it possible that maybe... The Spirit came of you, you know. He just said, did it happen or did it not happen? Do you, he expected them to know. In the scriptures, there's no such thing as a kind of cryptic, unobtrusive baptism in the Holy Spirit, like you're left wondering whether it occurred or not. That's, that's not there. Throughout Acts, whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon, they go, oh, we were, we were praying and, whoa, the Holy Spirit came. Or you know, Peter was still preaching in Cornelius' house and, whoa, the Holy Spirit came upon people. Peter and John went to Samaria. Oh, the Holy Spirit came on people. It was obvious. There's no such thing as a sort of secret, unknown to humanity, but below the surface, baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, it said that if someone says, if someone's got such a deep joy that it never finds expression then you have to wonder whether it's there. And uh, it's a little bit like that with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that if you just, oh, I think it's gone on deep within me, but actually no one on the surface would ever have known, 
I want to query what's going on there. Because, not because of my experience, but because of what the New Testament says. That when we receive the Holy Spirit, actually, it's manifest. The Spirit is manifest amongst us. We speak and our lives are changed. I remember distinctly the day that I was baptised in the Holy Spirit. For me, it was one of those days like you know, when the Twin Towers were attacked or um, when uh, Princess Diana died. You know, those kind of days. I know where I was. I, I know which room I was sat in, 111 Old Bath Road in Cheltenham. I know who was praying for me. I remember what they were wearing. I remember um, having been challenged as to whether I was baptised in the Holy Spirit. It was a house party for the Christian Union in my school that we were having in half term. Went into this other room with some crazy Pentecostals. They were a little bit crazy. They wheeled in some crazy Pentecostals. Not that Pentecostals are crazy, but these were crazy, anyway, Pentecostals. And they, they'd wheeled them in to make sure that it was done properly. And I remember just praying and saying, oh, God, would you do something? And you know this thing, it says in Acts 2, uh, rushing like a violent wind. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what, that's what happened. To, that's my experience, anyway. You know, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and... Um, before I knew it, there was just this torrent of speaking in tongues that I don't know where that came from. It was like waves of love with power in them. You know, John Wesley describes his heart being strangely warmed. Um, I was strangely warmed. You know, his strange warmth led him to preach the gospel, didn't it? <laughs> It wasn't long after that that I found myself standing up in front of the whole school. I asked for permission to preach the gospel to the whole of the school that I was in. Because the spirit was on me. You know, I wouldn't have done that before. Um, I have an old college friend who says to me, Steve said, I don't understand how come you can stand up as often as you do and speak to your church and have anything to say. <laughs> I think it's a fair question. Uh, so, um, in, in as I have anything to say, which you can judge, and I think I sometimes do, um, it's the Spirit of God at work in me and in anyone else who comes and preaches or who comes and prophesies or whatever. Um, you know, I really want you to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Having been filled with the Spirit, though, there is this issue of continuing to step out. Some of you will know the name Ken McGreevy. As someone is a, a saint who actually, uh, he died last, end of last year. Some of you may have not known that. But he, I remember him coming and doing, a, he's a prophetically gifted man. He came and did a seminar on hearing God for us in Oxfordshire Community Churches, back before we had the King Centre, and he said something that I found tremendously helpful, because here was a man who would stand up and pick people out and go, God says this to you, Mary, and God says this to you, Joe, and God says this to you, Joshua, and, and so what? And it's like bang, 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 the word of God came through him powerfully. But he said this, that whenever he heard a word from God to share with other people, immediately on the back of it came a powerful doubt. Straight away. <laughs> robbing immediately any sense of confidence that he had. To the extent that he tried to make sense of this, and I don't know whether he made the right sense of it or not, but I'll submit it to you, 
what he reckoned was that it was like um, the seed sown on the path in the parable of the sower, that as soon as the word of God was there, that the devil just wanted to come and snatch it away before it did any good. That was how he tried to make sense of it. And actually, so consistent was his experience that he actually saw the strength of the doubt as a clear sign that it was definitely God that had spoken. Does that make sense? Because it was like, that is beyond what you'd expect. It was like, my own brain is a bit muddly, but for that to come in and to try, you know, to, hmm, I think it must have been God. And that was his own experience. And so there's this decision that we have to make, that we say, well, if I'm going to ask God to use me, and then I hear something from him, I'm prompted to do something, and then I have all kinds of other thoughts, because I will have all kinds of other thoughts. After that moment, will I trust God that he spoke when I asked him to speak? And will I act on what he's saying? So, Going back to Romans 12, it says, you know, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Another good translation for the word faith is trust. Do we trust God? Do we trust that when we ask him to lead us, and then we get some inspiration, we say, oh, I'll trust that that was God, and I'll act on it. And you can prophesy, and actually I would venture to say, step out in prayer for healing and miracles and all kinds of other spiritual ministry in proportion to your faith. How much do you trust God will affect what you do? And so I just want to encourage us, you know, our God is trustworthy. When, he, when we ask him for things, what does the scripture say? He gives us rubbish. He ignores us because he doesn't care. No. The scripture says that when we ask, we have a heavenly father who gives us good things. So let's trust him and begin to step out in a bit more faith. On Friday evening, I was in Bicester at a prayer meeting of Bicester Community Church. And I heard a story from a woman there who had for her summer holidays been staying in, uh, with her family in a caravan near Blackpool. And there she was. And... From their caravan, there was a place that you could be fishing, and there was a man there fishing, and it was cold. Well, it's near Blackpool, so that's my experience of that part of the country. It's likely to be cold and a bit wet. My brother went to university in Lancaster, which isn't too far away. I never visited except that it was cold and raining. So anyway, she saw this man fishing in the cold and wet on his holiday. Lovely. And God said to her, give him a cup of tea. So she did what we would all do and say, oh, no. I don't It's just a funny thought. Because uh, the doubt comes in straight away. And uh, because God's good, he doesn't let us go. And so God said, oh, no, give, her, give, give him a cup of tea. And she reasoned it all out. And then the old stuff is a cup of tea. So she took the cup of tea out and gave it to him, thinking that he was someone suffering with a cold and wet whose home was a long way away turned out that actually he was staying with his wife in one of the caravans just there. So she felt a little bit foolish. Um, and that, that was that, really. A little while later, the fisherman's wife came and brought the mug back to her. And it came out in conversation that on that day, it was the second year anniversary of them having lost their son. 
and this woman who brought the mug back, it was there in her mind. That's what she was thinking about that day. And she turned to this member of Bicester Community Church and uh, explained to her what had gone on and how she'd been visiting spiritualists to try to make some kind of contact. And she said, will I, will I ever be happy again? I don't think I will. I don't see how I can ever be happy again. Now, it turned out that this woman from Bicester had also lost a son with the same name 18 years ago. And so the conversation went rather deeper. And she was able to say to her, yeah, you can find happiness after what has happened to you. And in my experience, I found it in Jesus. And I thoroughly recommend him to you. And they had more conversation beyond that as well. Because she stepped out and did what God said to do. And uh, I think there are lots of us that actually, you know, we, we, we can get, we want to get excited by an adventure of faith, don't we? We don't want to live the rest of our Christian lives out just doing what we do. Like we've worked it all out. Uh, but we want to respond to those prompts of the Spirit and just see what God opens up. And uh, so I want to encourage you in two things. I'm finishing now because I want to make sure we have a bit of time to pray and to respond. It would be good, Jeremy, if we could have the band back up and you can help us to respond. Um, There's really two clear responses to this thing about the kingdom and the power that God gives through his spirit. One is, if there's any uncertainty for you that you've been baptised in the spirit... uh, why not just come and be prayed for? It says in Acts 8, as Peter and John laid their hands on, they received the Spirit. And I believe that that's something that God wants to do for you. This morning, no need for more delay. For those of you who know that you have received that empowering from the Holy Spirit, uh, but maybe it's a little while since you've stepped out, uh, then I think the band are going to lead us in such a way that we can just put onto our lips a fresh commitment to say, God, I want to follow you. I want to do what you call me to do. Help me to be led by you. Yeah? Should we do that? So let's stand. And uh, Jeremy will lead us. And if you need someone to pray for you, then uh, well, maybe that you have someone nearby that you know can pray for you. But you can come to the front too. And it will be an absolute delight to pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit.